The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode 168 of the podcast. Are you joining us live here on YouTube? Today is December the 8th. It is Sunday, and it has been about three weeks since we've done one of these. Actually, uh, it's been about five weeks because I missed a few episodes. Yeah, well, it's been five weeks for... For, for the animal over here who's who's chilling on his couch. He's, he's looking very relaxed right now. Um, yeah, you know, fuck, I don't have, I don't have a good excuse. I, I've been drinking and having a good time and enjoying the holidays. My sister got married. Jeff was I, there. I know I was there. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jeff, I'm telling the listeners. <laughs> Who cares about them? They know. They listened to the last couple of episodes. Yeah, but people forget, you know, they haven't listened to us in a while. They've been off. They've had to go listen to Brendan Schaub or some bullshit to, to get their MMA. Well, <laughs> it's a good MMA. thing we're here. All right. So we're in kind of a precarious situation now because Jeff's got a bad cough. He's drinking tea. And while I was waiting for his ass to jump on the air, I've been sitting here just downing bourbon. So one of us is going to have to carry the show and... I am not confident that either of us are capable of doing so. In any case, let me start from the beginning. So since the last episode, I took a, a road trip up to New York to go to my sister's wedding. Uh, I took about four days going, four days coming back. I had my laptop. I could have easily recorded a quick episode, but, you know, Wi-Fi and Airbnb wasn't reliable. And, uh, you know, I was just drinking a lot. Uh, but my little sister got married, which, uh, was a big deal and it was a good time. And, uh, people always ask me like, do you like the guy that she's marrying? And, and it's kind of a funny story because they used to date when they were younger in their early twenties. And then, uh, they split up for like six years. And, uh, during that time I stayed friends with the guy. Um, he's been on the podcast uh, the Portuguese man of war, Dave Bernardino, great guy. Uh, you know, we've always been close friends and, uh, then they got back together and now they're married and everybody kind of knew it was going to happen. I always stayed out of it. Um, but you know, everybody knew they would end up together and, and now they are and they're married and it was a good time. And Jeff, we were having some good drinks while I was up there. You, you brought along a, a bottle of Lagavulin special edition, Ron Swanson edition, or or is it Nick Offerman edition? Which is it? They're the same person, so it's all yeah, good. I know, but what's it called? Oh, it's the Nick Offerman edition. Uh, aged eleven years, and Bill, it was so smooth going down, dude. That was yeah. definitely one of the better products that Lagavulin has produced. Not to say that you know everything Lagavulin puts out is amazing, but that one in particular sat really well with me, man. I, I did like it. I feel like 11 years is the sweet spot. Maybe the 16 is, is too aged and the eight is like a little too ripe or not ripe enough. Um, yeah, that was good stuff. And we were, 
we had a whole bunch of other things. I, I stopped at some distilleries, uh, both going to New York and coming back. I stopped at some breweries, man, but, uh, you guys aren't here for all that for the most part. So we can get into that later. If there's time, you guys are here for the MMA. We had, you know, weeks off from MMA. So that's why I didn't feel so bad about not doing a show for so long. Cause we didn't have much MMA going on. So last night we had UFC on ESPN seven. Uh, and that was in our nation's capital, Washington, DC. It was headlined by Jairzinho Rosenstrike and Alistair Overeem. Uh, you guys are all well aware of Overeem and his credentials. I have been telling you guys about Jairzinho Rosenstrike since his debut in the UFC. Uh, and, if you're not, if you haven't listened to me, uh, I mean, you know now that this guy is legit. Um, before we get into that, I, I do want to mention the fact that this card was meant to be headlined by Walt Harris. Uh, so we got to talk about this a little bit. So Walt Harris, uh, you know, understandably pulled out of this fight when his stepdaughter, Anaya Blanchard, was missing uh, as of October 23rd. And uh, as a parent, I can't even imagine uh, what the family was going through during this time, you know, not knowing if she was okay. And, and then ultimately finding out that she had been murdered. Uh, it, there's no greater tragedy in the world than a parent outliving their child. Uh, and, and whether that be a biological child or a stepchild, it, it's someone who lives with you and someone that you care for uh, more than anyone, more than yourself. Uh, so there, there are no words to, to describe how fucked up this is. Um, and, you know, our, our thoughts are definitely with the family, uh, Walt Harris's family and uh, Anaya's family as well. Um, I can't even imagine what they've all been going through over the past month and a half uh, while she was missing. And then, and then finding out, you know, the, the unfortunate reality. Um, apparently they caught the guy and he's been prosecuted. Um, but you know, nothing's going to make that hurt go away. So we're, we're, we're definitely thinking about the families there. Um, so, you know, the only way MMA on the rocks would do it, we'll raise a glass to, uh, Anaya Blanchard and her family. All right. Um, I don't want to start with the main event, though, Jeff. Uh, I want to start with my man, Billy Quarantello, making his UFC debut. If you guys missed this because it was on the prelims, Billy was meant to take on Chris Fishgold, who pulled out uh, with like two weeks to go. And Jacob Kilburn steps up. Jacob Kilburn, another Dana White Contender Series guy. Uh, he didn't get uh, a UFC contract off that show, but he went on to have like three knockout victories in a row, something like that. Uh, credit to him, takes a fight on short notice. So Billy says, I don't care. Who, whoever you're going to put in front of me, I'm going to do it. And you cannot script a better UFC debut than this. He came out and absolutely dominated Jacob Kilburn. Uh, I, I don't care, you know, what level he is. He's a professional mixed martial artist. And Billy Quarantillo absolutely 
smashed him. And when you use a phrase like it couldn't happen to a nicer guy, that's an understatement when it comes to Billy. He's such a great guy. He's such a hard worker. I can count on two hands the times I've been in the gym over at Gracie Tampa South, and he hasn't been there. He's always in the gym. He's the first one there. He's the last one to leave. He's always got a smile on his face. You could tell that he loves this sport. He loves what he does. And, uh, you know, it, it was a career-defining moment for him. He's no longer the guy who used to be on the Ultimate Fighter Season 22. Now he's the guy who's a force to be reckoned with in the featherweight division of the UFC. Second round submission victory uh, after just <clears throat> beating the hell out of this guy uh, for as long as this fight lasted. So happy for Billy. Jeff, I know you had a favorite moment <laughs> of, of Billy's debut. Let me hear about it. Bill, I was a fan of this guy before I even saw him fight, dude. He walks into Hulk Hogan's entrance music. I'm a real American. Bill, how can you not love this guy? <laughs> I, I mean, I mean um, and then, you know, he, he went to work on this Kilburn dude. Um, you know, I was praying to God that he would get a submission because, you know, it just wasn't fair to allow this Kilburn kid to get killed in there because... Uh -huh. If he hadn't tapped, that's exactly what was going to happen. Uh, Billy Quarantillo just went to work on him, man. Um, and he just put on this killer pace, dude. Not a lot of guys can deal with pace. And for Quarantillo to keep up that pace for two rounds, uh, it's a huge statement to his cardio, dude. Yeah, and, and that's what he does. That's what he does to everybody. Uh, I, I released a statistic on Twitter and Instagram before this fight. His... Uh, Significant strikes landed per minute average was 12 point something, which was pretty much double anyone else on the card. And of course you have the internet trolls who are like, but that's only based on his UFC performances. And uh, yeah, but if you've ever seen Billy Quarantello fight, you know that he's done this outside of the UFC on the contender series on the ultimate fighter. And now in the UFC, uh, the guy is a machine. Uh, I I have rolled with him personally in jujitsu, and this is just jujitsu. And he really like keeps increasing the pace as the round goes on. And you're looking at the clock and like, how is this guy getting more energy <laughs> as we're going here? Uh, he's an absolute machine. Um, he he deserves every moment of this success. And today's his birthday, so happy birthday! To Billy, what a, what better birthday present than a victory in your UFC debut? Uh, so yeah, all all the shout outs to Billy Quarantillo. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk to him on the show. Of course, friend of the show. Uh, I'm sure, we'll have him on here. I've been meaning to have him on, and, and we do it over a couple of drinks. So hopefully, we we make that happen. Uh, we got a lot to celebrate. You know, his birthday just got engaged a couple of months ago. Um, Big things on the horizon for this kid, and uh, and after after watching him fight last night, who in the featherweight division is going to want to get in there with him? Um, I don't think a lot of people are going to be calling Sean Shelby and saying like, "Yeah, give me that guy." Uh, <clears throat> another guy that people aren't going to be signing up to fight anytime soon is Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Uh, I I've been telling you about this guy for for months now, at least ten and zero. 
Here's the phenomenal thing about this main event, Jeff. This guy was losing four rounds to nothing. Overeem had a perfect game plan. And uh, you called this one. You went Babe Ruth on this one, too, because I texted you and I said, this is a masterful performance by Overeem, but it's kind of putting me to sleep. Four rounds to nothing. Uh, the experience of Overeem looked like it was going to prevail. And then with four seconds to go, Rosenstrike says, you know what? I'm going to take this one tonight, and I'm going to take a chunk out of Alistair Overeem's face. And he lands <coughs> kind of a, a modified Superman punch uh, just at the right angle to rip Overeem's upper lip basically in half. When you look at a close-up of it, it looks like there's a shadow puppet of like a jackal or a coyote that's just like creeping there on his face. But no, that's a chunk of his face missing. Uh, so Rosenstrike proved a lot of things. I mean, he proved that it, you know, he could survive on the ground when he gets taken down. Granted his jujitsu didn't look, um, good at all. Uh, but he survived, you know, he wasn't submitted. He wasn't TKO down there and he showed that he can go a full 25 minutes and still have dangerous knockout power. Uh, so he made some big statements, called out Frank Francis and Ganu, uh, you know, I, I've been on the bandwagon of this guy for a long time, longer than anybody else out there. I haven't heard anybody talking about him as much as I have on this show. Um, and, and I've been telling you guys to to check him out. He's only been to the decision one time in 10 fights. Um, knocked out Andre Arlovsky. <laughs> knocked out Alan Crowder. Knocked out Junior Albini. Uh, and, and that's just his UFC credentials. Uh, that's just him. this year, dude. <laughs> yeah, that is just this year. That was uh, his UFC debut was February. Um, so maybe a late contender for fighter of the year. Uh, you know, steps up on short notice to take this fight, uh, because of the unfortunate circumstances that led Walt Harris to pull out. Uh, and then calls out Francis Ngannou. Who does that? Nobody does that. I haven't heard anybody call out Francis Ngannou after a fight. Um, I, I don't know. Give me your thoughts on this main event, Jeff. Bill, man, when you texted me that uh, that this masterful performance was going to sleep, my response, and, and I posted this on Twitter, was, don't worry, Bill, because Overeem is going to be going to sleep very soon. Um, <laughs> dude, just the end of that fourth round, man. Um, yes, Rosenstrike lost the round. But at the end of that round, he had... Overeem hurt, and, mm -hmm. and you could see it. There was a couple of strikes. There was this overhand right that landed that really made Overeem start thinking about moving forward. Mm -hmm. And then in that last round, man, um, Rosenstrike, he just, he just didn't look as tired as I thought he would be for his first five-round fight. And, man, he just had this look in his eyes. That you, you could tell, man. He, he was focused. He was throwing his punches right down the middle. And with four seconds left, dude, that overhand, right? Like you said, man, it just ripped Overeem's lip in half. It reminded me of when he of when Robbie Lawler fought um what's his Roy face? McDonald. Yeah, Roy Rory McDonald the second time. Um, you know, I guess we could do a side by side who wore it better. <laughs> um, I, I, I think Overeem wins this one though, man, because his lip was just hanging off of his face. Yeah. Uh, great performance from Rosenstrike, dude. Uh, I think we can vote him as rookie of the year for 2019. 
he's got my vote for sure. I mean, I, I, I've been on the bandwagon since before the Albini fight. I've been telling you guys, keep an eye yeah. out for him. He's got like, I think 90 Muay Thai fights, something like that. Kickboxing fights. Um, and Overeem knew that, which is why he was so tentative in there. We yeah. all know yeah. Alistair Overeem's K1 uh, Grand Prix world champion kickboxing. And he was tentative in there with Rosenstrike. He knew what he was getting into. He knew he had to play it smart. And he oh, yeah. did. And, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, the stoppage and it was only four seconds. But and and the thing was, if Dan Mergliata doesn't come sprinting over, Maybe Rosenstrike doesn't back off and maybe Mergliata doesn't get there to stop it in time, but then maybe Overeem is brain dead or he's missing yeah. half of his face and he yeah. looks like Harvey Two-Face if he takes another shot. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's tough because it was, it was four seconds. You know, if it was even like 15 seconds and – it, you know, you, you had to stop it there. It'd be a little different, but like you could have let him stumble over and maybe he could have shelled up for four seconds. He would have won the fight easily. Even if you give a 10, eight to Rosenstrike. When I say he was losing the first four rounds, all three judges had it four to nothing for Overeem. They read the scorecards. Um, so it just speaks to what a fucking crazy sport this is. And you never yeah. know what's going to happen. Uh, it's a game of inches. It's a game of seconds. And, uh, it, you know, this could have been a decision loss for Rosenstrike four seconds later if he just doesn't throw that punch or or if if Mergliata doesn't rush in there to save over him, which he was out on his feet. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he was stumbling away and, and he argued the stoppage understandably because he's a fucking warrior. Uh, and, uh, and he had a great attitude about it after he put out a tweet like, Hey, my face isn't looking so sexy right now. It's getting stitched up. Um, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed the fight. Yeah. I fucking love over him. Um, not just cause he follows me on Twitter, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> may or may not listen to the show. Uh, but you know, he's got two of the biggest highlight reel finishes against him, you know, with the Nganu knockout and now this. These are going to be replayed forever, and he still has such a great attitude. Um, so you got to respect Overeem. He's a fucking legend. Uh, I think this was his 90-something MMA fight. Um, you know who I don't respect, Jeff? It's people who miss weight by fucking five pounds, like Cynthia Calvillo. And uh, she really got away with one here with a majority draw against Marina Rodriguez. Um, I, Rodriguez dominated the first two rounds. It was all her. The stand-up was all her. Calvillo, yeah, she almost finished her in that third round. But if you're a judge judging this fight, um, don't give her the 10-8. She might have deserved it, but don't give it to her. She cheated coming into this fight. Don't. Don't give her an advantage when you're scoring this. And this is why I think if you miss weight, you should start at a disadvantage. You should have a point deducted. Uh, and, and that would have made all the difference in this fight in particular. It, it was one of two draws we saw on the night. And um, it's fucking frustrating because Marina Rodriguez went in there. Her camp was really upset. She's got to go in there uh, against a uh, flyweight, basically, uh, a light flyweight. Um I won't even call her a straw weight. Um, and, and there's no excuse for this. 
I, I used to be of the belief like, oh, you know, women are different. Their bodies hold water differently certain times of the month. But then our buddy Serena De Jesus debunked that for us. Uh, and you can look at that at the highlights on our YouTube page if you guys have never seen that clip. Because uh, Serena it explains to us exactly why that shouldn't be an excuse for anybody. And it's just so frustrating. And Marina Rodriguez, you know, uh, got robbed of a victory because somebody cheated, basically. Uh, that's all I have on it, Jeff. What, what do you think? Yeah, dude. Um, this was a fucking robbery, bro. Um, you know, Marina Rodriguez clearly won the first two rounds. Fuck Cynthia Calvio for missing weight, dude. Uh, this is not the first time it happens either. Um, it's time for her to move up to flyweight, man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and don't get it twisted. I like Cynthia Calvio. I like how she fights. But, you know, you're going to miss weight. Just move up a weight class if it's that hard for you to make the weight class you're at. And two, you know, this, um, the first fight that we had that was a draw, I agree that it was a draw. And Bill, you and I will talk about it in a little bit. I know we, we differ on that, but this was highway robbery, man. Um, I, I think that the card was very, very exciting. And then this kind of, this fight kind of just killed it a little bit for me. Uh, the main event did save it a little bit, but I was just really disappointed at how this one went. I think Cynthia Calvio deserves the loss here. Even if you score that last round 10-8, listen, she missed weight. She doesn't deserve anything other than a loss in this fight. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you miss weight twice, you should be forced to move up in your next fight. That's kind of what they did with Kelvin Gastelum and worked yeah. out great for him. That's what they did with Charles Oliveira. It worked out great for him too. Um, and, you know, Oliveira for a while was begging to, uh, let the, U- have the UFC, let him go back to 145, but he's been, he's been doing great. And, you know, he's submitting everybody. Um, yeah. So that's the thing about this card. It was some weird things. You know, we had eight finishes out of 12 fights, which is, which is obscene. Uh, I'm not know, mad I'm, at that fact though. Yeah. It, that's, I, I mean, obscene in a good way. Uh, but, you know, we had the two draws and then uh, the other heavyweight fight, Ben Rothwell and Stefan Struve, man. Uh, unfortunate set of circumstances and unfortunate set of nuts for Stefan Struve today, I'm sure. Um, so here's what happened. Stefan Struve was hit with a low blow by Ben Rothwell. I, I don't think either low blow was intentional. Because Ben Rothwell is not that kind of guy. He's always been kind of weird, kind of quirky, but he's never been a cheater. You know, I think it's just the fact that Stefan Struve is so tall that you try to throw a body kick at him where you're used to throwing a body kick and you've done 10,000 reps of that body kick. Yep. Um, but that's not where his body is. That's where his dick and nuts are. And that's what, <laughs> and that's what Rothwell hit with a lot of force. Here's a guy who in Ben Rothwell, who has a lot of power uh, and, and Stefan Struve, we, we thought he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna fight at, after the first time getting the low blow. He was down. He took the full five minutes. He was breathing heavy. He couldn't get up. He said he felt him in his stomach. So here's this seven foot monster with his nuts in his gut. And he's like, all right, I'm going to continue. And then in the next round, he gets kicked again. Um, 
and he comes back again. He he could have, you know, he might have gotten a DQ victory right there after the second time. Uh, I think if he said he couldn't continue, that that might have been a DQ in his favor. And um, it, but but it might not have. And and Dan Mergliata kind of told him like, hey, you know, you're winning the fight. Uh, if you if you can stick it out, I, I think it would be in your best interest or make it to the end of the round. I think it would be in your best interest, which he's not supposed to tell him. He was trying to cover up his microphone uh, when he told him that. Um, but luckily, there's never any repercussions for the referees, so we don't have to worry about anything happening to Dan Mergliato over that. But he shouldn't be telling him stuff like that. But he felt for him because his nuts were in his stomach, which still like Stefan Struve's nuts were taller than me last night. I'm about I'm about five six, uh, and his nuts were like half halfway to his pecs, um, so yeah, it's probably probably about five six. Um, and in any case, he comes back the second time, and then Rothwell knows he's down because he he got a point deducted, and he just unleashes on Stefan Struve, knocks him out. Uh, you know, it was a clean fair stoppage in my opinion. But, uh, I mean, he was definitely compromised by those two low blows, and and there's no other way to look at it. Um, and, and Rothwell kind of shook it off like, yeah, I know, but on paper it's going to be a win. And, and that's unfortunately the way it's going to be remembered. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to remember that all this happened. But, man, unfortunate set of circumstances for Stefan Stroop because he looked fucking good up to that point. He was really stifling Ben Rothwell in this fight. You know, he was using his range well, and when Rothwell was closing the distance, he was making him pay for it. I, I don't know. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. This fight had a nutty ending. Yeah, I mean, it was nuts. Um, <laughs> it's unfortunate. It really is, um, especially because Ben Rothwell fought really well, like you said, man. In that third round, he was using the clinch really well, you know, pulling Stefan Struve down and really nailing him with these uppercuts, man. Jeff, um, this fight ended in the second round. Are you sure? Yeah. But then into the third one? Oh, no, it ended at four. Oh, shit, it did. Okay. okay, I thought it was the end of round three. Wow. Okay, <laughs> I, I added a round in my head. But, um, well, it felt like it went on that long because we had two five-minute breaks. Right, right, right. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, um, you know, in that second round, the the uppercuts were doing damage. You could see Stefan Struve. His legs were getting wobbly under him. So it's a shame that, you know, I, I yeah man how do I put this um I think that Stefan Struve probably let Dan Mergliata sway him a little too much I can't blame Dan Mergliata because Struve was winning I mean but it probably would have been a no contest is a thing and he was winning the fight uh it's a tough one man yeah. and then you know he was fighting different after the first nut shot because yeah. When, when this happens, like you're thinking about it, you know, you don't want to get hit there again. And then you get hit there twice that then it's in your head. And then you have a fucking animal like Ben Rothwell. Let's not forget the kind of fighter we're dealing with here. Here's a, here's a professional heavyweight with like 40 plus fights. Um, he, he knows kicking what's up. Dick. He, he, yeah. Kicking you in the dick twice. Um, he knows what's up. He knows he lost the first round. He knows he's losing the second round and he got a point deducted. Mm. What else is he going to do? He's got to maul you. He's got to finish yeah. you. Yeah. Um, it, 
and you can't fault him for that. Like, uh, it's tough, man. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's murky. It's real murky. Uh, I, I don't know how to feel about this one because, you know, it, in my eyes, Struve was winning the fight handily uh, everywhere, and he was definitely compromised by those low blows. You know, is a point deduction enough? Should a point have been deducted from the first one? You know, John Anik made the point. He thinks a low blow should be a point deduction no matter what because it changes it changes the landscape of the fight. I, I have a hard time disagreeing with that. Yeah, you know, but you also hate John Anik, Bill. I don't. I like John Anik. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Ariel Hawani. They look the same to me. I don't even mention that man's name on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate him. I don't hate anybody, Jeff. I just – I just – he doesn't have the the type of journalism that I agree with. Um, in any case, uh, this is just it's a real murky one. Uh, you know, you, you got to feel good for Stefan Struve the way he looked, and and you know, did he really lose this fight? It's hard to say because he was fouled twice, and and it clearly affected his performance. And he said as much at the end of the fight. Uh, but you know, he did choose to go back in there. He could have taken the no, you know. Uh, it could have been a no contest. They could have run it back uh, and he could have beat him. Um, the chances are they're not going to run this one back. In any case, Aspen Ladd looked good last night with a TKO finish in the third round over Yana Kunitskaya. Uh, after in the second round, she was on top of her barking like a Yorkie uh, when the family's eating ribeyes at dinner. <laughs> I don't know what was going on in that second round, but she was like yelping as she's punching Yana Konitskaya in the face. And, and then she wound up in her, on her back and she's still yelping and barking. Uh, and then she comes out like a woman possessed in the third round and finishes her in 30 seconds. Um, definitely a, a, a great performance from Aspen Ladd. I know she was really disappointed with her last performance uh, against Jermaine Durandamay, who's going to be fighting next week for the Bantamweight Championship. Um, and, and that was after she had that rough weight cut. And, uh, you know, it was possibly the early stoppage, but maybe Herb Dean stopped it early because he saw the weight cut video. And there was that whole, you know, that was a murky one too. But this wasn't. This was a clear-cut dominant victory for Aspen Ladd, and I thought she looked phenomenal. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, dude, Aspen Ladd was fucking scary, especially in that second round when she was growling at this woman while punching her in the face from her from on her back. It was it was weird, Bill, but I liked it. I liked yeah. the intensity, man. And then um and then she comes out and her her coach in between the second and third round says, "Listen, I want you to punch her and then I want you to keep fucking punching her." Which Bill I think was the best advice for that moment in time. Um, Aspen Ladd comes out, punches Yana Kuyitskaya in the face. She hits the floor, and then she starts screaming at her while she's punching her on the ground again. Mm -hmm. um, good stoppage from the ref. Um, good fight from Aspen Ladd. I think, um, you know, she had a misstep in her last fight, but I think she's back in uh, the top contention here of yeah. this women's, uh, is it Bantamweight? Yeah, in, in this women's band weight division. Uh, I'm a fan of Aspen Ladd. I like how weird she is. I like the madness when she fights. Um, <laughs> excuse me. <clears throat> and then after the fight, she just goes back to being a nice person. 
Yeah. All right. We got a we got a question here on the YouTube chat here from uh, Stat Klingon. I think I'm reading that properly. He wants to talk about Kilburn, which was Billy Quarantillo's point uh, opponent. Will he ever fight in the UFC again? So um, we we address this off the top of the show because Billy Quarantillo is a training partner of mine. So I wanted to talk about that fight first. Kilburn's a good fighter, and it always. It always works in your favor when you step up and help the company out, which is what Kilburn did, stepping up on a two weeks' notice uh, to help the company out when Chris Fiskold um, pulled out of this fight. Uh, however, he, you know, given the fashion that he was beaten and the fact that he was submitted on Dana White's Contender Series, yeah, he had a couple of knockouts after that, but it was in island fights, which is a mixed bag promotion. You know, sometimes you get guys who are on the verge of the UFC and sometimes you get guys who are, you know, just there to pad records. And that's a, that's a sad reality of it. Um, I, I think he definitely, he, he earned some good stock with the UFC, but I don't expect him to be back anytime soon. He's going to have to go and build his record up a little bit more outside of the UFC um, after getting dominated the way he did uh, against Billy Quarantel last night. Um, but, you know, I, I've seen him fight in the past, and and last night was definitely not reflective of his overall skill set. So I think if he goes and racks up a couple more wins, we could see him in the UFC again. It's definitely possible. Like I said, you definitely get a lot of brownie points for stepping up on short notice. Like He was one of the only guys around who could, who could step in, make the weight, and, and show up on fight night, which he did, and he gets a lot of credit for that. All right, Jeff. Song Yudong and Cody Stamen. You and I saw this one differently. This was a draw. So Song Yudong uh, gives a, uh, a grounded knee to Cody, Cody Stamen in the first round. He gets a point deducted immediately. Uh, you can see that the that the blow affected Cody Stamen. It dazed him. Uh, you know, he... He was clearly in a lot of pain over it. So Kevin Mulhall does the right thing, stops the action, deducts the point. The way I saw it, Cody Stamen wins that round, and he gets the, the extra point. Uh, and, and then I saw him winning an additional round after that. Uh, I thought it was a clear-cut victory for him. I know you saw it the other way. You saw Song Yidong winning uh, the second and third. I thought Cody's wrestling was enough to get it done. Um, he could have taken, he could have taken a DQ victory here, but he wanted to stay in there and prove that he was the better fighter. I think he got robbed by the judges and, uh, I know you saw it differently. So, uh, let's hear your side of it, Jeff. I'll be honest with you, Bill. I thought the first round was actually a nine, nine round. Um, I just didn't see Cody Stamen doing enough in that first round to get a 10 point round. Uh, even with the point deduction, I, I still felt that it was nine, nine. Um, the second round, you know, uh, Cody Stamen, he landed a nice takedown, held Song Yudong down for a bit, but Song Yudong was able to just pop back up. Um, and, and I felt like he really won rounds one and two, you know, except for the point deduction. So tied the first round, won the second round uh, with his stand-up. You know, his stand-up looked really good. He hits hard. Um, he looked a little flustered, like it kind of got in his head a little bit that the one point was taken away. But I felt like in the second round, he really got his act back together. Um, but I'll give I'll give it to you, Bill. Uh, I thought Cody Stamen looked absolutely fantastic in the third round. He uh -huh. held uh, Song Yudong down for about three minutes. 
which you know we've talked about a million times on the show when someone doesn't want to be held down it's unbelievably hard to keep them down and i felt like if cody stamen would have if i'd seen a little bit more of that in maybe the second or first round maybe maybe i'm giving you a different story uh maybe i i would have been convinced but i i honestly felt that the judges got this one right i felt like this one was a draw um but yeah, man, that uh, that knee in the first round really ruined things, because uh, then it throws off how how Song Yudong's gonna approach it. You know, it kind of got in his head a little bit. The scorecards are a little different, so you know, it's it's a shame we had that happen. I saw it the other way. I was I was so impressed with the fact that Stamen was able to perform the way he did after taking that shot because it clearly impacted him, uh, it, and you know, he was basically knocked out from that. Um, you know, if that were a legal blow, the fight could have been stopped right there uh, and would have been a knockout for Song Yudong. Uh, so the fact that he was able to come back and, and control uh, any any part of the fight after taking a blow like that really impressed me. Um, so I, I guess it's all about perspective. And, um, it, you know, you and I are typically on the same page, but every now and then we see things differently and uh, – and that's okay. Uh, to make a little bit more sense of the way the judges were viewing things, Rob Font gets a victory over Ricky Simone, and we both saw this one the same way. You know, Ricky Simone had some nice takedowns. He had some nice ground control. We all know how hard Rob Font is to get to the ground, so the fact that Ricky Simone was able to get him there and then keep him there for a little bit, uh, granted, Rob Font did an excellent job of getting back to his feet. So if you don't know anything about these two fighters, um, you know, you, you might think that Ricky Simone was doing a great job uh, keeping him down. Uh, or, or if you do know about Rob Font's uh, takedown defense, you would think that Ricky Simone was doing a great job keeping him down. But on the feet, it was all Rob Font. It was all that jab, uh, the fainting. Uh, you know, he was making Ricky move on his feet and showing his inexperience in boxing. Um uh, by by making him move on those feints and then just sticking that jab in his face and bruising his face up and uh, I think he even took Ricky down at one point. Uh, you know he he reversed the roles and, and Rob Font showed a little wrestling there. I thought he looked great. I thought he won two rounds. Uh, the judges got this one right. I know you and I are on the same page about this one, but do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, dude, Rob Font looked absolutely phenomenal in there, and we haven't seen him in a while either. So I definitely gave him rounds one and three. Um, second round was more for Ricky Simone. I thought that the wrestling uh, really won him that round. But, dude, um, credit to Rob Font, man. I mean, Ricky Simone, really high-level wrestler. Um, but Rob Font's takedown defense is nothing to, to you know, uh, point your nose at either so uh, you know though stylistically i thought this matchup was great rob font uh dude that jab you i think you should sell it man um put it in a bottle or something <laughs> that jab was doing wonders for him and like you said the feints on the feet rob font looked so good man and uh in the first round he let ricky simone know that he could wrestle too and he took his ass down so i thought that really um, kind of set the tone for that fight. Uh -huh. Um, you know, Rob Font showed Ricky Simone that he's not afraid to get in there, get gritty, grapple with him. So, um, 
you know, a really good job of not allowing uh, Ricky Simone to get his wrestling game going. Mm-hmm. So great stuff from Rob Font. Uh, I'm a fan of his, always been a fan of his, uh, and I'm glad to see him back in the cage after a year and a half off, I think. Yeah, the guy just couldn't get a fight, and, uh, yeah. you know, something fell apart with his last fight. Somebody pulled out. Um, I, I can't remember the details exactly because uh, there was so much going on at the time. But uh, <clears throat> one last thing I want to say about this is I think it's I think it's understated uh, the diversity of Rob Font's striking ability because he can he can fight like in a traditional Muay Thai style, and then last night we saw him you know show some real Western boxing skills. Um, it, you know I believe Muay Thai is his base. I know people who have trained Muay Thai with him and and have told me, uh, you know, so this is secondhand accounts that he can he can spar traditional Muay Thai and do well, uh, very well. In fact, he could probably fight in Muay Thai and do well. Uh, but last night he showed more of a boxing style, which, um, it, you know, is an effective style to use against a wrestler like Ricky Simone because uh, he's changing levels and you're using those feints and sticking the hands in his face. So great performance by Rob Font. Great performance by Tim Means last night who put it on Tiago Alves, knocked him back to 2014 where he left his career, like I told you last night, Jeff. Uh, <clears throat> he basically knocked him out. <clears throat> the guillotine was just the icing on the cake. Gets a submission victory. Um, <clears throat> I think um, probably the knockout over Alves would look better on paper since he's you know, shown susceptibility to submissions in the past, but nonetheless, Tim Means looked on top of his game last night. It was a, a great performance by him. Hopefully, we get to see him on that New Mexico card. Uh, anything about this fight, Jeff? Yeah, dude. Um, you know, Tiago Alves is a tough guy to finish. You know, whether it be submission or knockout. So good for Tim Means, man. And we've talked about this a hundred times on the show. You know, when Tim when Tim he can Tim Means can be hot or cold. But, man, he was red hot last night, dude. Good for him. Uh, you know, Tiago Alves, tough dude. Um, you know, I'm sure he was a lot tougher back in 2012. But, you know, good win. Good win for Tim Means. And, Bill, I'll be honest with you, I enjoyed – I think I enjoyed this undercard more than the main card. The yeah, undercard man. was so much fun. The prelims were fire, and I'm not just saying that because my buddy Billy was on there. If any of you heard that – very satisfying cork pop. Uh, that was me cracking a new bottle of Buffalo Trace because I killed the last one while I was waiting for Jeff to uh, to make his tea and come on the air and, and help his friend with car trouble or, or whatever you're doing, Jeff. Yeah. Um, and, and and readjusting your equipment because your lights went out and <laughs> it was a whole mess to make this show come together. But we had to do it because you know the people have gone like a month without any Animal Wilson. Yeah, the masses were pleading, so they were. Uh, speaking of which, I want to thank everybody who ha- has been bugging me about not doing an episode the last couple of weeks. You know, some people might be annoyed by that, like, "Hey, I got a life too," you know. But I do appreciate the fact that you guys are missing MMA on the rocks in your life. Um, so, you know, if I'm slacking, call me out on it by all means. Uh, I am not slacking on the bourbon right now, Jeff. We're gonna take. A, a break from the MMA action. I want to talk about this real quick because I'm drinking Buffalo Trace, which is one of my standard go-tos. Um, you know, it's a fairly cheap bottle. You should be able to find it for about 30 bucks. Buffalo Trace also makes uh, a lot of great stuff like Blanton's, um, 
Sazerac Rye, uh, Colonel Taylor, Eagle Rare. There's a lot of great stuff that comes out of the Buffalo Trace Distillery, but it's very hard to find, especially in Florida. So on this road trip, I was hunting for bourbon uh, as I went up and down the coast. And when I got to New York, I found it the most plentiful, but I also found a lot of price gouging. So places were selling bottles of Buffalo Trace for like 60 bucks. Granted, I did find it a little cheaper. I was able to grab some bottles for like 25, 30 bucks while I was up there. Um, but Blanton's, which is, you, you have, it's like winning the lottery, finding a bottle of Blanton's down here in Florida. And uh, I was, you know, a bottle of Blanton's should go for like 58, 60 bucks. I was finding it for like 120, 150, 160 even I saw it for. I was taking pictures of all this, like price gouging up the ass. Uh, it, and a lot of other stuff too that I really enjoy, like Weller, which also comes out of the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Um, I saw some Pappy Van Winkle while I was up there, some George T. Stag. For those of you who don't know about bourbon, uh, you know, I might as well be speaking Russian right now. Um, but some of those bottles, four or five, six hundred dollars, eleven hundred dollars for a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, which uh retail market value should be going for like a hundred bucks. But it's so hard to find. And these mom and pop liquor stores know that. So they jack up the price 200, 300, 400% sometimes. Uh, and it's a crying shame. But I was able to walk away with some bottles of Buffalo Trace. Buffalo Trace is a wheated bourbon. Um, so obviously, most bourbons made predominantly out of corn. Uh, Buffalo Trace has a little bit of wheat in there, which I think smooths it out a little bit. Uh, and then. You know, bourbon is also made with rye, which makes it a little spicy. Uh, but the corn brings the sweetness. Um, the wheat brings the smoothness. Uh, so if you're living in an area where you can easily get your hands on some buffalo trace, do so by all means. All right, let's get back to the action here, Jeff. Whoa, whoa, Bill. I got to stop you right there, bud. Because, Bill, you brought this bottle to the wedding. Uh-huh. You know, the night before, we are drinking with Dave and, and your sister, Lisa, and the wife and your brother, Rob. Bill, you brought this bottle. I forget what it's called, but it tasted just like peanut butter ice cream. And as <laughs> soon as I tried it, I was like, Bill, this is going to mess me up because it tastes delicious. I'm going to drink half the bottle and not be able to drive when I stand up. Yeah. Could you just remind me what that was called? Yeah, well, I think you did drink half the bottle, and I think you were not able to drive when you stood up. But it's uh, Screwball, and uh, Screwball spelled with a K. So S-K-R-E-W-B-A-L-L. Yeah, peanut butter whiskey. Talked about it a couple weeks ago on the show. Um, I brought a bottle of that up to New York because I didn't know how readily available it would be there. I brought a whole bunch of stuff up. You know, little sister's getting married. She put me in charge of bringing cigars and – and bourbon to pair with the cigars at the wedding, which, you know, I brought some hand rolled cigars from, from Ebor city. I brought some angels envy, uh, bourbon, which is a port finished bourbon, a little on the sweet side, uh, to go with the lighter cigars. And I brought a Talisker storm, uh, scotch, uh, peated scotch, uh, to go with the darker cigars that I brought. Um, so yeah, screwball peanut butter whiskey, uh, good stuff. You pick up a bottle for like 23 bucks. Um, I would equate it to the, the quality of like a fireball. It's a little bit, you know, on the syrupy side, like kind of like a liqueur. Um, but it does have a little bit of a whiskey bite, uh, but super smooth. 
on the back end. And yeah, like you said, it's like peanut butter ice cream melted in your mouth. It's a, it's a nice mouth feel on that one. Um, all right, let's back back to some MMA. Bryce Mitchell with a body twister submission over Matt Sales. Only the second one in UFC history. Uh, I believe the first uh, was courtesy of the Korean Zombie a couple of years ago. Um, this is a very rare submission in MMA, and, and not because it's super tricky to pull off. It's it's really because it's super easy to defend. Um, and Sales kind of looked like a fish out of water on the ground. Bryce Mitchell was all over him. His transitions were beautiful. He looked great. He had great top control. A lot of this is going to get lost with the finish on a lot of people uh, because it's something a lot of people haven't seen before. The reason a lot of people haven't seen it before is because a twister is the kind of submission that once you've been caught in it once, maybe twice, and you learn the defense, uh, never again. Uh, so this is obviously something sales hadn't seen before. You could tell he was panicked. All you really have to do is kick the foot off. Uh, so kick your opponent's foot off that's trapping your leg, and you should be able to slide out of it, not only slide out of it, but turn into their guard. Um, but sales looked very panicked down there. He looked like he hadn't seen anything like this before. What it does is it pins your leg down and it torques you from your neck in the opposite direction and twists your spine. It puts a lot of pressure on your spine. It's very painful, very uncomfortable. And of course, Bryce Mitchell gets the tap from Matt sales. I don't want to take anything away from Bryce Mitchell here, but I, I just want to be clear about the fact that the reason you don't see this a lot in MMA is one because it's risky because it's so easy to defend and you could end up giving up a dominant position like like having the back and ending up with your opponent in your guard, which is very dangerous in MMA because you get punched in the face when someone's in your guard. But uh, a great performance by Bryce Mitchell. I would I would more applaud him for his top control and his transitions. Uh, they were beautiful. Uh, and he was putting a beat down on Matt Sales before the submission was even close. Uh, so a, a great performance by him, and uh, I definitely applaud him for that. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, dude, uh, Bryce Mitchell's ground game was looking fantastic, dominating every aspect of this fight. Um, but yeah, dude, um, for the twister, even if your leg is caught and you, for some reason you can't get it out, as long as your opponent doesn't get their arm around your head you're fine mm -hmm. you know um that's part of it too and, and i think people forget that is uh because bryce mitchell you know he had to work to get his arm around the shoulder and head of um of sales here and you know I, if sales had stayed a little bit calmer uh i, I think he could have gotten out of it but at the same time you can't blame him for freaking out um, you know, Bryce Mitchell's grappling was on point last night. Uh, uh -huh. his transitions were fantastic. Um, just showing so much control. Um, and you know, even if he didn't get the twister, he was probably going to get sales back here. So either way, it was six eggs in one hand or half a dozen in the other. Um, so, you know, great performance by Bryce Mitchell. Um, you know, super impressed by him. Uh, hopefully Reebok gets him those cameo shorts. <laughs> yeah, man, he's been asking for those for over a year now, uh, and apparently he's w he's willing to to beat up some politicians for Donald Trump. Uh, so, all right, kind of a weird flex, but 
okay, I mean, you're in Washington, D.C., I guess, you know, give a shout-out to your commander-in-chief. Uh, Joe Selecki, dominant performance over Matt Wyman. Beat the fucking piss out of him. I tweeted as a joke. Like, even Mario Yamazaki is watching this fight in his living room and screaming, stop the fight at his TV. Not knowing at the time that the referee in this fight, Jeff, Fernando Yamazaki. <laughs> Tell me they're related, Bill. I don't know. I they didn't really like, man. They do. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions here and, and, and be called a racist because that's what happens in this day and age. You say stuff, and and then the next thing, you know, it's viral, and uh, and I'm a piece of shit. Yeah, that's because of this nerf society that the internet has constructed around us, where everybody gets triggered by everything, Bill. It's also because I am actually a piece of shit. <laughs> so that has something well, to do with it. Well, that goes without saying. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> That'll be the last peanut butter whiskey I ever sent your way. All right. Um yeah, Verna Jandaroba submission over Mallory Martin in the second round. And then a big knockout victory by Mahmoud Muradov over Trevor Smith in the curtain jerker. Uh, anything else on this card, Jeff? Because I, I want to move on. We got we have so much more to talk about, and we're already creeping up on an hour here. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. Let's talk about next week, man. End of the year card here. Yeah, this is a big one. Um, and, and it kind of crept up, and there's – there's really like no hype about this card in my opinion. Like maybe I'm too close to the forest to see the trees, but um, three title fights. Uh, and this is fairly unheard of. I don't remember last time we saw this uh, that, and the main event is a grudge match between two guys who fucking can't stand each other. I mean, they almost got in a fight at a buffet line at the MGM or something. Colby Covington threw somebody's grandma in the way. And, and uh, and Kamaru Usman's manager was trying to fight him, and we we know he can't fight. Um, so it, it was all kinds of madness. These guys don't like each other. They have an identical record at yeah, fifteen and one. Um, they've both been submitted one time early on in their careers. Uh, Usman is coming off of his completely uh, destructive performance over the former champ Tyron Woodley. And, and Colby Covington has been smashing everybody. I mean, we've heard, we've all heard the story now where he was about to get cut before he fought Damian Maya. They told him, win or lose, you're kind of done after this one. We think you're kind of boring. You don't have any personality, et cetera, et cetera. He beats the piss out of Damian Maya. He calls the crowd filthy animals and, and he says Brazil is a dump. Uh, and that clip goes viral. Everybody wants to kill Colby Covington. And the UFC is like, oh, we have to keep you. We're going to re-sign your contract. He goes on, um, you know, to beat up Rafael Dos Anjos uh, worse than Kamaru Usman did. He beat up Damian Maya worse than Kamaru Usman did. And then he beat up Robbie Lawler, who's teammates with Kamaru Usman. Uh, and, and he dominated him. Uh, Colby Covington puts a pace on guys that is so relentless that the only person I can compare him to is Kamaru Usman, who puts yeah. a pace on guys yeah. that is so relentless. <laughs> the only person I can compare him to in this division is Colby Covington. Uh, this is going to be a, a battle of of who wants it more and who doesn't let the other guy get in their head, in my opinion, because they both have very similar styles. Colby Covington is a little bit smaller, 
He doesn't cut a lot of weight. He doesn't believe in that. Uh, he, he likes to fight closer to his natural body weight. Kamaru Usman uh, is a big dude uh, for this division. Um, you know, they both have outstanding wrestling credentials. Colby Covington, Division One All-American. Kamaru Usman, Division Two All-American. Uh, Covington out of Oregon. And uh, Usman out of... He's from Nigeria, Bill. Yeah, I know that, but I'm thinking about where he wrestled, Jeff. Oh, I couldn't help you there. But, Bill, while you're thinking of that unpopular opinion, I'm super excited for this fight, man. It's two similar styles. I know not everybody is a fan of grappling. I know everybody likes to see knockouts. But listen, man, these guys are masters of their craft, all right? When two masters of their craft go head-to-head, it's explosive. And this isn't going to be... It, it might not be fun to some people. It's going to be a grind game. It's going to go five rounds. But the thing is, both of these guys can keep such a high pace for five rounds. Just look at what Kamar Usman did to Tyron Woodley for five rounds. He beat the shit out of him. That's the same thing that Colby Covington did to Robbie Lawler and uh, Rafael Dos Anjos and Demian Maia. I mean... I think you're right, man. It's about who wants it more. It's about who can implement their game plan better. This fight's going to be awesome, dude. University of Nebraska. That's where he wrestled. <laughs> dude, are, are they like a good wrestling program? They yes. Don't... Very oh. good. Very good. And a lot of people think like, oh, Division One All-American, way better than a Division Two All-American. Not the case. Um, you, you know, we saw that when – uh, Kamar Usman uh, beat up Tyron Woodley and took him down at will. Tyron Woodley, uh, Division One All American out of Missouri, um, and and wrestles and teammates with Ben Askren. But the thing about Division Two is, you know, because they're called Division Two, it's like number two, like it's second best. Uh, it's not the case. It's just you know, it's based on the size of the school and everything like that. Um, but the D two guys tend to have more of a chip on their shoulder because they think like, oh. I'm not a D1 All-American. People don't think I can wrestle as well. Uh, so they feel like they have a little something more to prove. Um, yeah, and just to add to that, Bill, before we move on here, um, Division One also refers to the amount of money that you will get in scholarships for doing a sport. Division One, you'll probably get a, a lot more money uh, towards a scholarship than a Division Two school. Uh, it really has nothing to do with skill level or or brackets or anything like that. Uh, it just it, it's more of a money thing, you know. Generally, you want to go to Division One school because uh, doing a sport for, or playing a sport for that school is going to get you more scholarship money for sure for sure um the, the school i went to uh they were they were division one for lacrosse which i was uh, a lot of people probably don't know this about me i was a i was a lacrosse player in high school and i was going to play d1 in college but i blew out my knee and um yeah it would have been a full ride because they were division one but i think for football they were division three um I went to University of Albany from my undergrad. That's neither here nor there. In any case, the co-main event, and I have to stress co-main event because this could be a main event uh, any other weekend. Max Holloway defending his featherweight championship against Al Alexander Volkanovsky. And, you know, it's not too often that we have a, a defending champ coming off a loss. I don't know that this has ever happened. 
because obviously Max Holloway moved up in weight to challenge Dustin Poirier for the lightweight championship, was unsuccessful there, went the distance with Poirier, didn't look terrible, won rounds against Poirier, uh, but he's going back down to featherweight, defend his championship. So the real X factor here is like, how is he going to readjust going back to featherweight? You know, has he been super disciplined with his diet? We know he's had, he struggled with weight in the past. He's never missed weight. Um, but he wasn't able to fight Khabib at 155 pounds because of the weight thing. We know he walks around very large. Uh, Volkanovsky, another big dude, you, you know, used to walk around 200 plus pounds, uh, as a rugby player in Australia. Um, stocky, powerful guy. Good wrestling, a lot of power. Uh, Max Holloway, volume, volume, volume. Fights like a Diaz brother. You know, he's going to be sticking punches in your face until you break. Uh, and, and he's going to be there the whole time. Uh, hasn't been finished in a long time. Hasn't lost a fight at featherweight in a long time. Uh, so, man, this is a coin flip for me, Jeff. I don't. Uh, part of me wants to think like there's there's levels and Volkanovski's not ready for Holloway, but then you know there is that X factor. Like, does Holloway really want to be at featherweight? And that's what's going to be the difference maker to me. Like, if Holloway shows up and he's not fully prepared, and he has a rough weight cut. It's going to be a hard night for him. We know what we're getting out of Volkanovski. Uh, that's not going to change. You know, he's gonna he's gonna come in uh, on fire. And he's going to come in prepared and he's going to come in looking to take Max Holloway's head off. You know, then there's the reach discrepancy. Holloway's probably got a big reach over Volkanovski. I don't know. What do you think about this one, Jeff? Yeah, man. Tough call. Uh, Volkanovski is very well-rounded. Uh, I would agree that I don't think he's ready for Max Holloway, but I didn't think TJ Dillashaw was ready for Henan Barrow and he kicked the shit out of him twice. Uh -huh. So, um, you know, anything could happen. That's the beauty in the sport. And, you know, I think it's a really interesting matchup. Both of these guys are well-rounded, but they are better at specific areas of their well-rounded games. Like you said, Max Holloway, volume puncher, killer cardio, um, very versatile in terms of striking and being on the ground. Same for Volkanovski. Um, you know, I don't know if Max Holloway is somebody you're going to want to wrestle. Um, you know, I don't think that Max Holloway is someone you're going to want to take down. Um, but Volkanovski also has a lot of power in his hands. Um, you know, is Max Holloway, is he going to keep that in the back of his mind while, you know, trying to light him up? So, so many X factors in this one, man. I'm really excited. And like you said, this would be a main event on any other card. Mm-hmm. You know what else could be a main event on any other card? Amanda Nunez and Jermaine Durandamy. Uh, you know, a lot of people are not a fan of Jermaine Durandamy because, you know, she won that controversial fight over Holly Holm where she hit her after the bell twice and didn't have a point deducted and kind of lost the fight but won the decision, won the featherweight championship, and then gave it up because she didn't want to fight Cyborg, allegedly. Um, you know, she says it's a different story. I don't know. In any case, this is a rematch, Jeff, from 2013, in which Amanda Nunez knocked out uh, Jermaine Durandamy in the first round with elbows. Uh, that was UFC Fight Night 31. 
ages and ages ago. Since that time, Jermaine Duranamy has not been nearly as active, but her last three wins, Aspen Ladd, Raquel Pennington, and Holly Holm, uh, you know, nothing to shake a feather at. Uh, she's only fought five times since losing to Amanda Nunez. Amanda, since fighting Jermaine Duranamy, has gone on after losing to Katzengano immediately after she went on to win nine in a row, including two world championships. And uh, knocked out Holly Holm uh, and uh, Cyborg and Raquel Pennington in her last three fights. Um, so much better resume for the champ, Amanda Nunez. Uh, Durandamay thinks, you know, she has what it takes. You know, she hits hard. She's she's knocked out a man, I believe, in Muay Thai. And uh, Saturday night she's going to see if she can knock out Amanda Nunez. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Give me your thoughts on this one, Jim. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, dude, this is a tough one, too. <clears throat> um, and I mean, it's a tough one for Jermaine Durandamy. Um, she's stepping down a weight class. You know, she was the champ at 145. Personally, I think it would be in her benefit to fight for the featherweight belt instead of the bantamweight belt i think that she's going to give up a lot of power by dropping those 10 pounds and jermaine Durand uh, jermaine Durandamy, she's a big girl man um you know cuts a lot of weight i don't think it's a good idea to challenge for the bantamweight belt when you could just as easily challenge the same person for the featherweight belt um but maybe that's part of the plan maybe she realizes that hey those 10 extra pounds are the reason that she was able to knock out Cyborg so easily. So maybe that's why she wants a Nunez at 135. Uh, maybe she sees something that we don't. Um, but I'll be honest with you, Bill. I have had a lot of doubt in Amanda Nunez, and it has never gone well for me. So <laughs> I think that Nunez has got this one in the bag here. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair that's a fair assumption, especially since she's, she's knocked out their enemy before. Um, this, this card is, um, is an interesting one, Jeff. Uh, and it, I'm surprised it's not being talked about more probably because there's been so much time off and, you know, holidays and you, you know, everybody's busy Christmas shopping, whatever other bullshit they're out doing. I, I don't know what, I don't know what you guys do. Uh, but whatever you're doing, you're not talking about it MMA as much, at least uh, from where I'm sitting. But I'm going to throw some fights your way, Jeff. You tell me which one sticks out to you the most. Hit me, Billy. We got Marlon Marais and uh, Jose Aldo making you're his good. You don't, you, don't need to, you don't need to mention the other ones, man. <laughs> uh, Bill, I saw that one too, and I knew that was going to be the first one you are going to bring up. Dude. I don't even need to hear the other ones. Um, I think this fight's going to be explosive. Marlon Moraes, a monster at the bandweight division. The only loss he's had recently is to Henry Cejudo, who's the current champ. Um, listen, Jose Aldo, former 145-pound champ, this could be his way back to a title shot rematch against Henry Cejudo. Jose Aldo um, cutting down to 135. Bill, I saw a picture of him today. He looked like he had aged a thousand years yeah um i don't know man jose aldo struggled to make 145 now he's older he's still a thick dude man i don't think it's a good idea for him to cut to 135 
Um, but I'm still excited to see what happens. Both of these guys are killers in the octagon. People forget, <coughs> excuse me, people forget about Jose Aldo. Um, you know, towards the tail end of his career, okay, he lost to McGregor, he lost twice to Holloway. That's three losses, but he's got so many wins. Um, you know, and people have tried more than once to beat him, and they couldn't. They couldn't. Mm-hmm. So you cannot sleep on Jose Aldo, man. Um, I think this fight's going to be fireworks. I think this is a co-main event if it weren't for the fact that we have three title fights. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the only thing I'm worried about is is Aldo making 35 because he's talked yeah. about moving up in weight to 155 when he was the champ. Yeah. Uh, he, he he doesn't look good. He looks like death already. Um, yeah, dude, he and, looks like Skeletor. Yeah, and it's a, yeah. He looks like he has AIDS, and there's it's not even <laughs> it's not even. <laughs> Bill, this is a family show, man. No, it's not. We have a parental advisory. It's at the beginning of the show, Jeff. This show is yeah. not meant for not meant for children. I make sure to include that. Um, yeah, but yeah, he doesn't look good, and it's not even fight week. He's not even cutting weight yet. So whatever picture we saw of him, it could have been from two three weeks ago. Uh. Not a good story. In any case, uh, Peter Yan and Uriah Faber, Mike Perry and Jeff Neal, Ketlin Vieira and Irene Aldana, Matt Brown and Ben Saunders, uh, Jessica I and Viviana Arojo. Oh, and I'll give you one more, Jeff. Ian Heinish and Omari Akhmedov. Yeah, Bill, I'll be honest with you. I think we're getting spoiled with this card, man. Top to bottom, fantastic. I want to watch each and every one of these fights, man. But if I had to give you just one more, I would have to go with Peter Jan versus Uriah Faber. Um, Peter Jan's been tearing up uh, that Bantamweight division as well, man. Um, You know, he could make a bigger statement by beating Uriah Faber than Marlon Moraes, who's already had his shot at Henry Cejudo. Uh Uh, 35 so i'm really interested to see that uh, i'm a fan of peter Jan. i think he's well-rounded he's got these awesome judo trips that he uses all the time uh his striking is vicious uh he's got cardio for days mm-hmm. and um you know i don't think uriah faber can take him lightly man yes uriah faber is a legend but he's also like 42 yeah uh, so, you know, the game is starting to change. I know Uriah Faber's always been a master of his craft, always been very well-rounded, but I think that Peter Jan is a very dangerous fight to be taking. Coming off of a big knockout win over Ricky Simone, though, is Uriah Faber. Um, so let me throw this question your way, Jeff. We got two bantamweight fights, all high-ranked, uh, highly notable fighters. With a win on Saturday night, who is most likely to get a title shot against Henry Cejudo? Marlon Moraes, Jose Aldo, Peter Yan, Uriah Faber. Damn. Um, I got to give this one to Peter Yan just because of how devastating Henry Cejudo won over Marlon Moraes. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe Uriah Faber, too. I think Uriah Faber versus Henry Cejudo would be fantastic. As for Jose Aldo, I think he makes weight on Saturday. I don't think he ever fights a weight again. 
Mm. Uh, I think that once he feels that weight cut, I don't think he wants to put his body through that again. Uh, the guy walks around at like 190, dude. Yeah, uh, yeah I think he's just way too big to make Bantamweight ever again. Um, but yeah, I would have to say either Uriah Faber or uh, Peter Yan. I'd actually love if Uriah Faber won. Because, uh, you know, Peter Jan's young, but I'd love to see Uriah Faber versus Henry Cejudo. Um, just, you know, that old school versus new school, both really good wrestlers. Um, and I'll be honest with you, Bill, I'd love for Uriah Faber to win a UFC belt. You know, I'm always talking about how I'm a fan of Dominic Cruz, which I am. Uh, you know, he's probably one of my top three favorite fighters of all time, but I'm a fan of Uriah Faber too. And I always felt like it was a bit of a shame, you know, Uriah Faber uh, was, was never able to really, you know, Dom, Dominic Cruz was the bandweight champ for so long. And, you know, he, he just had Uriah Faber's number and then Cody was the champ. He couldn't fight him because they're on the same team and TJ, they were on the same team for a while. So I'd like for Uriah Faber to really be able to ride off into the sunset with a UFC belt. But if not, I'd pay good money to watch Peter Yan fight Henry Cejudo. Uh, I think those are my two picks out of those four. That'd be a good fight. I I would think, for, you know, I always have to give the marketing perspective, Jeff. Hmm. Out of those four names, if Uriah Faber comes away with an impressive victory, he's getting the title shot. Yeah. Uh, he and Henry Cejudo have a little bit of heat. Cejudo has called him out. They've trained together a little bit. It was like 10 years ago. Uh, apparently, Faber brought Henry Cejudo in to help out with a, a little wrestling for some training camp or something. Um, it's an interesting matchup. Uriah Faber is a name that will always sell. Uh, you know, he's the most well known out of those four, yeah. even though Jose Aldo has a victory over him, uh, a very dominant victory at that. Uh, which was one of the times that Uriah Faber was denied that UFC gold that you talked about. Granted, he was a champion in WBC, which you know held all the lower weight classes before the WBC was acquired by the UFC. So it, in the record books, he's technically been a UFC champion, but he's never had that UFC belt. It's kind of like a gray area because you know the UFC bought the WBC. And then moved all his weight classes over at the same time that Uriah Faber lost his championship. Um, in any case, I think the sleeper fight on this card is Ian Heinish and Omariak Madoff. You know, Ian Heinish coming off that loss, we're gonna have to see how he deals with, uh, you know, his, his come, you know, returning after his first loss in the UFC. He had a rough time with Derek Brunson. Uh, and he was looking like a world beater before that. Uh, so. You know, I would I would like to see how he's going to bounce back, and uh, Omariak Medov is, is a really tough challenge for anybody in there. Uh, you know, that's a tough dude. And then Ketlin Vieira undefeated at ten and zero against Irene Aldana. I think that's a fight to keep your eye on too. And you can't you, you can't ever turn away from the TV when a Mike Perry fight is on. Yep. Uh, you know the wild brawling style of Mike Perry, which is like surprisingly technical at times against the very stiff, rigid technical style of Jeff Neal. You know, will Perry be able to lure him into a brawl? Will Jeff Neal be able to pick Mike Perry apart? Um, it, you know, that's an interesting style matchup that I like a lot. You know, will Perry implement some of his wrestling? Will he make it dirty? Push Jeff Neal up against the cage. Um, get some dirty boxing going. 
that that that's an interesting fight to me. Uh, this is a really fun card. Matt Brown and Ben Saunders. Surprised that these guys have never fought before. That's kind of like this one has to be like a loser leaves town kind of fight because uh, Matt Brown has retired like six or seven times, I think, and um, you know Ben Saunders had a rough go of it lately. Um, but you know, for nostalgia purposes, I'm all in. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> All right, Jeff. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I had the road trip uh, both ways, so I'll just talk about that uh, real briefly. On my way up, I stopped just outside of Fredericksburg, Virginia, and I popped into a whiskey distillery, A. Smith Bowman, and uh, I loved everything they had. They do bourbon. They also do some gin and, and some vodka, I think, some other stuff, but – I don't drink any of that stuff, Jeff. I like whiskey. And, and Virginia is a weird state. They they can only give you a tasting of like so many things. And I'm like, all right, well, let me try all of the bourbons. They do a port finished bourbon. So they take uh, barrels that were used to age port wine, which is a sweet dessert wine. And they put the bourbon in there. And uh, it, it brings all of that sweet flavor out of the wood. Uh, and it gives it a real smoothness uh, and a real sweetness. It's almost like a dessert bourbon. It won uh, bourbon of the year, or no, whiskey of the year at the World Whiskey Awards in 2016. I was like, wow, I really like a lot of these whiskeys. Come to find out, Jeff, A. Smith Bowman is owned by, take a guess. Lagavulin. No. Buffalo Trace. <laughs> Buffalo Trace. That's correct. So technically the Sazerac company, which is also owned by Buffalo Trace. Um, so they use like similar mash bills. Um, I was like, man, this tastes really familiar. It's really, it's really good whiskey. I really like it. And come after I, I bought a bottle of the port finish, finished it that week with my sister and her now husband. Um, you know, we killed that bottle in a night, just sitting around shooting the shit sometime between the wedding and Thanksgiving. I can't remember. It's all blur now. Um, we finished that bottle and, um, I was like, man, that was really good. Come to find out owned by Buffalo trace now. Uh, so it's a shame that this stuff is hard to find, but a Smith Bowman, um, if you find them on the shelves, good stuff, very similar to Buffalo trace. Uh, it's got that sweet bourbon flavor that tastes like home. Um, in any case, I hope everybody had a really enjoyable Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope everybody is enjoying the hustle and bustle of the holidays. I hope you're all having better luck with your bourbon hunting than I am. I want to hear about it on social media. And Jeff wants to hear about it on social media. We want to hear about your opinions about mixed martial arts on social media. And we both apologize for taking so much time off, but at the same time, we're just living life, man. We do this for free. So if you want your money back, uh, you can have it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. People, fans of MMA on the rocks, you are never fucking getting your money back. <laughs> uh, I'll give them. I'll give them double their money back, Jeff. <laughs> no, but Bill, man, it was awesome having you up here, dude. Um, you know, seeing Dave and Lisa, seeing your whole family, Uncle Tom. Um, who does not have a cabin? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> um, honestly, I, I took a day off from work, and when I got back, it was madness. 
but uh totally worth it you know it, it was so much fun seeing you guys um you know running around helping out with everything getting breakfast before the wedding super fun um and listen man i know we missed a few weeks from the show but listen we we're celebrating life and blessings dude so yeah, it is man. all good yeah and you guys can uh you know if we're not putting out the audio and video content for you guys you can always follow along the journey on on social media try and keep up with that as much as possible if you guys want to get a hold of jeff it's at animal underscore wilson on twitter and instagram and you guys know how to get a hold of me it's at mma on the rocks twitter facebook instagram yeah it's right here uh you can send me an email mma on the rocks gmail.com you can visit our website uh you know read some articles things that i wrote uh you know we're very accessible so don't feel like we're not just because we're celebrities <laughs> <laughs> in any case let us know what you guys are thinking and drinking out there throughout the holidays until next time cheers everybody goodbye <laughs>